starting out just making an effort to tell the story of God. And when you, when you begin to understand that the entire Bible is that story, that it's this great covering through the ages, matter of fact, from eternity to eternity and beyond, it's the grand story of God. And once you begin to see the Bible that way, then all of the arguable points begin to take a very dim, uh, dim place in your life because you begin to realize that really it's a story of what God will do to reach His people, to love His people, to empower the, His people, and to show them His grace. And so that makes it easy for me to fit my story into His story. I don't need to fit God into my story. I mean, God wouldn't be a part of my story until I knew Him. But once I began to know Him, He gladly became a part of my story because I so fervently wanted to be a part of His. And that, that will mark your journey. Now, if, if you understand the, the uh, book of Genesis correctly, you'll see that one of the major things that stands out is how God brings order to the chaos that existed when He started. And just, just let me say a couple of things here in beginning is we've been talking about discovery groups and now I'm talking about God's story. As those of us who work from here talk about God's story, it's going to look different than the discovery groups. And all of us are going to do it differently. There are several of us will be working, working on this Sunday morning forum and each of us will have a different perspective. And we have to realize that that's okay. And thank God that, that in my life and in my work with people who have come under the same discipline as I have, I haven't reproduced myself. You know, I've worked with Damon for a long time now. He could probably tell you how many years. My memory's not that good. But he was about 18 or 19 years old when we first started working together. And I'm so glad he's not like me. I'm so glad he's not like me. Now, I see things develop in his life that come out of our interaction together, but he's not like me. I love to hear him preach, and I don't like to hear me preach that much. So, you know, it's different. I, I was with Phil Reasons while we were gone for about a week, and I'm so pleased with what God is doing in Phil's life. He never fills a pulpit anymore, but he's doing sustainable mission literally all over the world. And I'm so glad that he's doing that and that he's not doing what I'm doing. And I've also worked with him since he was 18 years old. And I could go on and on and on and name people, but the point is our goal in working with people is not to make them like us. Not to even make them believe like us. But to help them to understand the discipline that it takes to begin to hear God effectively and to live that way. And uh, as we bring the story of God, there are several things that will affect our perspective. One is just life experience. You talk to somebody that hasn't even yet learned the, learned the alphabet, which has not been in existence long down in Aztec country, and so they can't read. They don't know what the Bible says. And you talk to them, and life experience is going to mold how they talk to you about God. But believe me, they know God. They've been saved, they've been delivered, many of them have been healed. Um, another thing that will affect the way that we bring it will be whatever our accepted norm is for our doctrinal views. And can I just challenge you right there and say, be open to your doctrine shifting and changing. Now, any of you that have really consciously followed God for a long time, what you think is absolutes will change. Now, there are some things that I've noticed that does not change, and that is the fact that, that Jesus came and died for us, and the Holy Spirit was sent. Those things don't change, but a lot of other things will change. Another thing that will affect it is, is the, the person's depth of study. Now, just let me qualify that for a minute. I don't, I'm not talking about how much you read your Bible, and I'm not bringing any kind of condemnation in anybody's life. I'm just talking about the depth of study will show up in how you, how you speak and how you deliver. Uh, everybody don't study like I study. I, it just happens that I love to study. 
I love to discover. I know some people don't. And do you know that's okay? They can still be God's children. And that's not like study at all. And, and, and that's okay. Uh, but probably the thing that will affect what we say about God's story the most is the revelation that comes from our walk with, with Abba, our walk with Dad, our walk with Father. You know, I heard somebody say something, and this was not a, well, it's a church leader, but certainly not somebody that's up front every day, but said this, and it's not just about knowing him as Father, but is he your daddy? That's powerful. Because I'm afraid that I work a lot harder knowing him as Father because I'm, I'm a little emotionally challenged, just a little bit, if you notice. And for me to think of him as my daddy is a little bit emotional, and I don't like to go there. And I think he stands aside and laughs at me because of that. <laughs> so understand that in these things, it's not a matter of right and wrong. Not at all. But it's a matter of perspective. And it's all developed in life. Someone's perspective today that's just been saved a short time, has just accepted God a short time, that perspective will be different in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. It'll be different. But it'll all be in God. It'll all, all be developing. And, and it's also about developed life. Um, that in our day-to-day -day life, there are people for various reasons that either become believable or unbelievable. And it's because of the way they live their life. If somehow they connect with us in a way that's believable, then there's a domino effect. We just, it just everything begins to adjust because we're at some point kind of accepting some things that they're saying, and that's only through relationship. And that helps you to begin to develop a different pattern of thinking. Whether you reject them or whether you accept them, it will change your thinking. Now, I want you to allow these things that I'm talking about now to challenge you because I'm challenging you not to just read the Bible as a ritual, but to get in it and read it and ask questions. Ask the Holy Spirit some things and expect Him to answer. And He will often begin to answer by connecting you with someone else. There's many ways that we hear God, but the three major ways that we hear Him is, is we learn to directly open our spirit and we hear Him ourselves. The other, another way is that people that we begin to open up to in relationship begin to speak to us. And because we're open in relationship, that's a spiritual thing. And, and when they say, talk about God, it starts to touch us. And the other way is, is just opening up to the Bible and asking questions. And, and it's, in the beginning was the Word, and the, the Word was with God, the Word was God. That's not talking about the Bible, church. But it's talking about the whole way of God's, uh, God's connection and God's, God's commentary, God's communication with us. So one thing that always has challenged me, and sometimes, I, sometimes I'm challenged because I read some really intense stuff. I, these guys that do the intense work of the Bible, I read that stuff. I, I do it as a discipline, and some of it I can only read a page or two at a time, and I've got to set it aside and process it. I've got a book on my side table now that's about that thick, and it's all about the life of Paul. And I can only read about two or three pages of that, and I've got to set it aside and go, man, I'm going to have to process that for a while. Sometimes I won't go back to it for a week because I'm reading intense stuff. But early on, there's a, there was a couple of little books put out that's out of print now and, and hard to find, but uh, it was, the little books was called Refiner's Fire, and it was a compiling of some old uh, Protestant, Quaker, uh, Puritan, different theologians. It was a compiling of things that they had written. And I began to read these things, and Man, there's something started to spark inside of me. Boring, yeah, but I realized these guys knew God in a way that I don't know Him. And I'd only been saved about three years, and, and the denomination I was a part of, were they were impressed by my ability to lead, not my knowledge of Scripture. And because they were impressed with my ability to lead, they put me in charge of a church. I was only three years old in God. <coughs> to me, I look at that and think, man, 
that's something. But anyway, I began to realize these guys know God in a way I don't know. I mean, it, it created a hunger in me, and I began to look for that. And began, it began to challenge me because I sensed that in these deeper truths, in this deeper understanding of God, was a change for me. Everything would change. And about that time, I began to hear God saying, I want you to forget everything you know about the Bible. Now, I'd been raised in Sunday school. I knew all the stories. I knew all of the, all of the uh, hyped up messages. I, and that left me thinking I knew something. And I knew, I knew enough back when I was a crazy guy that if somebody challenged me with it, I knew enough that I could sometimes leave them in tears because I could argue it with them in a way they couldn't come around. But I didn't know God. I knew the argument, I knew the stories, but I didn't know God. And I, I realized that, that this thing would change me. It, and so it caused a hunger in me. And that domino effect began to take place because once you allow the Holy Spirit behind your theory, then it is a domino effect. This will change, that will change, something else will change. Sometimes it happens rapidly, sometimes not so rapidly, but it does happen. Because what you think and what you believe will either need to adjust to this new thing or you'll need to reject it. And if you reject it, you'll become harder and harder and harder, maybe saved, but still hardened. If you accept it, there's a lot of things will start to fall in your life. It'll, it'll, start, to, it'll start to change you in a way that, that you never realize. But the Holy Spirit spoke about this a long time ago. He said things like, I'll do a new thing. You hear me? I'll do a new thing. Well, yeah, but you're going to do it according to the way we did it back here. You, you, no, no, no. I'm going to do a new thing. It's going to be totally new. Old things are going to pass away. New things will come. And then he went so far as to say in the book of Hebrews, you have to look it up at somewhere between verses chapter 7 and 10, but it says, when the new comes, the old is becoming obsolete. Now, I fully believe in this day that God is, the reason there's the unrest, the reason there's the dissatisfaction is because God wants to do a new thing. He wants, and it, it won't be new as in never having existed in the mind of God, but it'll be new in the sense that we've never used it this way. We've never done it this way. We've never known anybody to do it exactly like this. Now, I'm going to go to the story. I'm going to read, and then I believe Jeremiah is going to read, or whoever has has agreed to do that. But Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. Not at this moment. Hello. There ah. you go. This thing's heavier than I imagined. <laughs> Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord... This, this is the 1, 1 through 4 passage. Do you want me to reread? Yeah, reread what you just said. Oh, reread. Like we did. My bad. Reread. Alright. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and the darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters then God said let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and before I go on let me just say thank you Jeremiah I know that wasn't easy for you and will not be but I'll tell you what, I, I'll embarrass him a little more. I see something in these two, Jeremiah and Brandy. And it's just a matter of working along at, at whatever pace they want to work along, and we'll see what God does. But part of it, I remember Jeremiah, part of it is breaking out of that thing I don't want to be seen, don't want to be heard. I, I remember the first couple of times that I got up for congregation. I would rather have died. I'm serious, I would. But I realized that God was asking me to. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The first time I actually had seven pages of notes, 
took me seven minutes to get through. <laughs> and I thought, boy, I'm going to have to trim this down. Nope. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I, I see something that needs to be brought to the surface, and I'm going to keep pushing and get, helping you to get uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Now, in my words, uh, my first thought about this, again, remember this comes from having looked at this and studied this and talked with God about this stuff for a long time. But my first thought here as I begin in Genesis is that this all-powerful God made no effort to prove his existence, none. He didn't go into a three-point uh, expression of why he's God and how he's God. He just said, in the beginning, God. <laughs> I love that because that's, that, that stuff is a waste of time. It's just, it's just something that, that we don't need to do. I mean, any right-thinking individual, they might not like the fact that there's a God, but man, all this stuff didn't just happen. And I don't see how you could ever think that. He didn't, and another thing I love is he didn't start giving us a, a, a big expose on how to overcome darkness. He did acknowledge its existence, but he didn't explain it. Now, if you had been a Hebrew reading this or listening to it, you would not have heard darkness, but you would, heard, you would have heard something quite different, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But another thing that I see is that as he began here, all of the elements of order, uh, production, and his own life thriving on earth, all of that was there. Because he never, he never talks about having created that. He just brought it into existence. Now, in these first statements were some of his own commitments to creation. When he said, in the beginning, this was not talking about that nothing ever existed before this. That's not what the phrase means. It means this, the way of life that we know started right here. That's what he's saying. He said, what, what mankind, my being involved with men and my moving it forward in that way, it starts right here, the start of things as we know them. Now, later we would know more about what God is, but in this beginning, he just figured we need to understand that he was and that it was all there. And when we look at, at the word that was originally used for darkness, it's a word that indicated disappointment, suffering, destruction, death, ignorance, all that's contained now in the world system, it was there. It, it was there. He, he, he was let us, letting us know. And when you think of darkness, don't think of demons and, and the devil with a big sword and, and wings. D darkness is that. Uh, disappointment, suffering, destruction, death, ignorance. And he was, the, the whole indication as I look at that is we have this all-powerful God that can bring this all to order by his presence, uh, his spirit hovering and moving. And then, and now, always an acknowledgement, this is the way Father works. When, when the dark seems to be ready to overtake you and overcome you, remember, this is how he works. His presence begins to prepare. His presence begins to bring something into this that is different. Now, I, I was looking for an illustration for this when I, when I talked to Rafa this week, and man, did he ever give it to me. You know, for a couple of weeks, Rafa and Ruby have been in and out of the emergency room because she's got some issues with her heart that they're trying to, trying to correct and trying to get, get going. And this particular night, they were on their way to the emergency room and they came by what is now so common in Juarez, a car that was shot full of holes and taped off with blood everywhere. Several people had been killed and they, they found their way around it and Rafa asked Ruby, do you want to continue to go to this emergency room or do you want to go somewhere else? And she said, we felt like God said to come here. <coughs> they went there and inside the emergency room was the gathered family of one of the victims. And if you haven't seen the way that some of the, some of the, uh, how do I want to put this, some of the Latin American people mourn, then you haven't seen what they saw, but it was loud and it was, 
Okay, it was blood curdling. It was the mother standing off to the side, pulling her hair and all of this. And Rafa, Rafa said, I immediately felt like I had said, told Ruby, we should pray. And he said, so they, without letting anybody know, they began to pray. And she reached over and grabbed his arm and said, Rafa, we should go there and tell them we want to pray for them. So they did, right there in the emergency room. They went over and asked the family, can we pray with you? And he said, it was just like the presence of God settled in and everything became calm. The nurses, the doctors became calm. It all became just as calm as can be. And the mother and father came up to them afterwards and said, you brought so much peace to our house. Will you come home with us because the family's going to gather and will you pray with us there and tell us about this peace. And so they did. After Ruby had seen the doctor, they went to the home, and there was about 40 people gathered there, and they, they began to talk to them about the peace of God and, and this God, peace of God invading it. Folks, that's what the presence of God creates. The presence of God, when you allow it, when, when you have faith in what He can and will do, the presence of God creates that kind of thing. I don't know how many times that... You know, sitting with people, you don't know what to do. And you just say something to the effect of, let's just pray. And you don't, you don't for me, I don't begin to pray great faith statements and make the staff come in and look to see what all the noise is about. Just calmly start talking to God and watch the peace of God come into the situation. And then out of that, inevitably, conversation starts. And people will either begin to give witness to how God has helped them in their situation, or they'll ask questions, one or the other. But folks, that's how order comes to chaos. God's order comes to chaos in those situations. Now, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now before I go on from there, just let me give you a little bit of instruction. Why am I having him to read? I told you one reason. But another reason is, if you hear it from me, and you hear it from someone else, a lot of times the first reading is just a reading because we're used to that. The second reading, things began to capture our attention, and we began to think about it a little bit. What we have to do as we move forward, I believe even in, in, in the Sunday morning forum, is we have to give, we have to release faith in the direction that the written word is powerful, and that it will accomplish some things in people. And if we can get beyond that part that, where you're just reading, and into that part where all of a sudden you're starting to pay attention because it's the second time around. We might not always do that, but if you're in a situation where you have a chance, you can read something, have them read something, and then begin to ask them questions about what that meant to them, and you'll be amazed at what will come out of it. But it's often, because we've heard it so many times. I look around this room, and I know all of us have heard it many times. So that first reading is, oh, let's see what he's going to say about this. But that second reading, all of a sudden, you, your mind is open because you've, why did he do this? That's why. Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, the man and put him in the garden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you'll surely die. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you should not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. So begin to ask questions of the scripture. And yes, this is still staying on story. What, what, can have, what can this have for me today? Is it, is it just a good story to know? Or there's, is there something that I can say to some person that God will put in my pathway today 
about what this might mean? Can, can we read it together and, and it say something to them? The first thing I see is just the offhand way that, that God works here. I'm, I'm telling you, this, this always impresses me because when God decides to make a man, I, I'm all, I always think back to the process of, of building or, or something like that, which, which I've done a lot of, but he had never before made anything that would express him the way he wanted mankind to express him. Nothing so completely like himself. Now, no, we're not God, but we are so like him. And I, I can just see the process, you know. I've got this in my mind, talking to Father, Son, Spirit now, saying, I've got this in my mind. Come on, let's, let's grab some material and let's get moving on this. I, I can see it because a lot of times I'll be walking around where I've got a little wood stored here and a little wood stored there. And I've got something I think I want to build and I'll look at it and I'll, I'll pull a piece here and I'll pull a piece there. I can just see God saying, come on, let, let's, let's put some material together. Let, let's take this dirt and let's make a man out of it. The creativity, the, the amazing power of Almighty God. Oh yes, and Holy Spirit, when we get this done, I want you to be the very air that they breathe. I want you to walk with them. I want you to talk with them. I want you to teach them. I want you to comfort them. I want you to nurture them. We're going to, we're going to give it our very life for this person that we're making. And oh yeah, I think we really need to do this where they can decide whether to follow or not because it wouldn't be that effective if we didn't. So we're going to let them decide. I know the risk, but they're smart. They're able. Now we're going to put them in the garden. Now don't that immediately start bringing ideas to your mind of, of some of the beautiful gardens that you've seen? And, and it should. But the original word means let's put them in a place with boundaries. Let's put them in a place with boundaries. Literally, literal, literal translation, let's put them in a place with a fence. <laughs> Think about that. This place is going to, be, going to need to be able to produce all that they need when they're like this. But they're going to go beyond this. They're going to, they're going to expand. They're, they're going to fill the earth. They're going, to, they're going to do what they do. But, oh yes, Holy Spirit, remember, you're to work within this garden with them here in the beginning. This is what you're to do every day, oh, Holy Spirit. And yes, I can, I can prove this scripturally, but I'm not going to take time this morning. Oh, Holy Spirit, yes, every day, all day, every day, not just in the cool of the evening, you be there for them. You be moving, you be hovering, you be doing what you do. And, oh yeah, for them, let's, let's put some boundaries within the boundaries. It's not going to be about them measuring what is good or what is evil. But their life is going to be about receiving life from me. That way, they don't need to carry the load of judging each other. They can just live life. Folks, I'm telling you, it's a heavy load to judge each other. It's a heavy load to look at your brothers and sisters in Christ and decide because they're not doing it like you done it when you was a kid, they're doing it wrong, that's a heavy load to carry. Because they're probably not going to change. You're probably just going to carry the load. But you were never intended to carry that. It will cause darkness to come in. It will cause disillusionment. It will cause, cause depression. It will cause judgment. It will cause all kinds of darkness to invade. Why? Because you haven't realized that the lie, you can trust the Holy Spirit. The life of God in them will bring them to a place. And then when they get brought to a place, it might agree with you, but it might not. Because you might have been brought to a place where you no longer agree with that. Hmm. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. Notice the words here, and I'm not going to elaborate on those. It was a delight to the eyes. The tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, 
and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Now, first of all, this let me say, this is not Adam's story, it's not Eve's story, although it is, but it's God's story. It's not about pointing the finger and saying if it hadn't been for Eve, or pointing another finger and said if it hadn't been for Adam. But it's to ask God a question, God, how can I stay within the boundaries? How can I, God, do what you've said so that your life will flow through me? God, I realize it's not the knowledge of evil that empowers me, nor is it the knowledge of good that empowers me, but God, how, how can I eat of this life that you've given me? How, how can I do this? And in this, the all-powerful one shows us how the enemy works. He's got no new stuff, folks. You need to understand that. That there is a whole story outside the story about the fall of the enemy. It's still contained in God's story, but it doesn't, oh, here we go now, it doesn't have that much to do with my story if I understand my story correctly. But the, the enemy has no new stuff. This is at the root of any success that he has with you. And here's what it is. Through the power of suggestion in your own mind, he causes you to question what God has said and then accuses God of withholding something from you. It's simple and easy to recognize. He wants to separate you from what God intended and accuse God of withholding something from you. How many times have I heard the voice of the enemy in people accusing God because of whatever? because of their finances, because of the house they live in, because of whatever. But, but the deal is, that's the voice of the enemy. And that causes darkness come then, because there's nothing darker than seeing God as your enemy. We need to get that clear. He's a good God. Every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights, and in Him, there's no shadow of turning. We start there. We don't start with, God, why is this happening to me? We start with, he's a good, good God. Man, he's a good God. Because no matter what happens in this incident that's going on in my life, I'm going to be okay for eternity because I'm walking with God. And if I quit trying to figure out things that are higher than me, there's a peace comes to me, a settledness comes to me. And... The minute we move away from the light of God's ideal for us, the boundaries that he set for us, we move back to darkness. And what happens is this causes me to feel shame. Now here's, here's what shame looks like. I become disfigured. I, I present another physical profile to the world around me. Not what God intended, but sometimes I'll present an angry attitude, a disappointed attitude, a bitter attitude, a judgmental attitude, a condescending attitude, whatever. I've become disfigured from that glory that God intended for me to project. Instead, I'm projecting darkness. Yes, I'm, I'm naming the name of Christ, but I'm projecting darkness rather than light. And it's all about my dissatisfaction, my murmuring and complaining with, with what's going on with me. And I've become defaced. Um, the way I see the world changes and, and my face instead of, and, instead of uh, projecting attention to someone and listening to someone and whatever, I'm just, just got that face, you know, that I judge you, I, I, I don't want anything to do with you. And I put up a facade that we hope will be accepted, and if not accepted, so utterly rejected that I don't have to deal with them. Saying things like, I don't care what people say, and then setting out to prove it. If you have to say, I don't care what people say, then you care what people have to say. It's real simple, isn't it? And then ashamed also includes discouragement. Discouraged means I'm without courage. I'm, I'm without the courage to stand up and be who God has called me to be. 
But folks, if I walk with him and I talk with him and I interact with him every day, no matter how my situation convicts or fits into modern doctrine, no matter how, I still have the courage to stand up and say, I'm a child of God. My situation don't fit your situation. And I'm going to give a little bit of a personal testimony on this, and I'm, I'm still good on time. I'm not, I'm not overrunning my time. But Chelsea and I are looking at the end of life, and we realized that we've made some decisions that, that makes the end of life not quite as lucrative as some thinks it should be. Let's just put it that way. But we knew way back when we made those decisions. When she made the decision that she would go to Mexico and teach English in a Mexican school so that she could have an impact on a culture, and believe me, she did have a tremendous impact. You go down to that city now and walk through the square and everybody's yelling for Chelsea. Except they call her Doctora down there. <laughs> so, some Chelsea, but... <laughs> anyway. And then together we made the decision that there's a lot of people have decided that Mexico is unreachable because of all of the killings and all of the danger down there. So all of the money is dried up. We made a decision, knowing what we were doing, that we were still going to take the gospel to where, to where our friends were there, to what we were doing. Now, the life that we live now as we approach the end of our life, the end game, it doesn't look like some people would say it has to look in the United States. But I'll tell you what, it looks real good for eternity. Uh, that's our retirement plan. That, th that's what we're looking for. Will we work all of our days? It seems likely. But that's okay too. Because that's part of it. And it was our decision made with God that makes it okay. Now I'm not saying that to lift us up. I'm just showing you how this works. <coughs> As you walk with God it won't always look correct in the world system. We have men that work with us that do hard part-time jobs and full-time jobs so they can carry the gospel. We have a man, I used to call him a young man, he's not so young anymore, but his name is Pablo down in Juarez. And you know what, Pablo works a hard job. It's, he he uh, pours, and, pours concrete and lays blocks in Mexico they don't have all of the machines and stuff that we have. It's a hard job. Sometimes it's a five-gallon bucket of concrete going up a ladder, three stories, and pouring it five-gallon bucket by five-gallon bucket. Sometimes that's the way it is. He does that so he can preach the gospel, so he can live the life among the people he works with. He'll never be rich, but his eternity looks good. You see what I mean? That God is trying to put something in this nation where we quit measuring ourselves by the measures of the world and we begin to make ourselves available so that the kingdom of God not can be established. It already is established, but it can advance in this culture. There are statistics that really trouble me. The fastest growing church in the world, I've mentioned this before, is the church of Iran. Amazing, the speed that church is growing. You know where the slowest, church in the slowest growth in the world is? Right here. I don't know about you, but that troubles me. And about 60% of the growth that's recorded is recycle growth, which means today you get mad at what I've said and you go somewhere else, and they count you as growth. Folks, we can change it by simply no longer embracing the, the idea that you have to be able to preach a three-step message to be able to forward the kingdom. I can tell you something. If the, if the way you present the gospel cannot be presented in a place that has no Bible, then you're not yet presenting the gospel. We've got to think about these things. Also in Genesis chapter 3, just let me say this before I go on, is that the way we cover ourselves is usually with religion and doctrine. Just leave that there. So in Genesis 3 is also the record, or most of the record, where we have established doctrine about the curse. Oh. 
I don't want to make light of it, folks, but I, I just want you to hear this. The all-powerful God never said, I curse you. He didn't say that. But yet we've heard it preached that way, haven't we? He said, cursed you shall be. But even at that, he wasn't talking about, you know, when I grew up, if somebody was cursed, that's just a fancy way of cussing, and I got that all the time at home. That's no big deal. But <laughs> the whole thing is that we've made that something that it's not. Really, that just means that you start to live in such a way that the Word of God holds you outside the boundaries. That's really all it means. Think about that. Instead of, instead of living in such a way that's open to you where you can, you can embrace the boundaries and live in the glory, the presence, the, the outflowing of God, that you make decisions that hold you outside. And that's why, that's why it's phrased like it is. He's it, it, saying basically like a good dad would say, I'm sorry, but if you do that, this is the way it's going to be. Now, honestly, that... I looked at it again this week to make sure I was right, but that's just a statement of great regret. And the whole inflection of the original language is the expression of regret. Regret. You're going to be cursed, man. Everything that I've spoken will be standing against you instead of for you. Because for, it to, for those people who embrace my way, for them to be like, they're, like they want to be and like I want them to be, then there has to be fences and boundaries. And, and if you live within those boundaries, man, your life's going to be like my life. You're going to get to a place where it's that good. But if you don't, this is what's going to happen. Darkness. You see, he separated light from darkness. Did you get that phraseology in the beginning? He separated it. He didn't. Blank out the darkness, but he separated it from his light. So our dad, father, knew what life would be like if we insisted on ruling our own process. His ability to help us then would be severely limited. Yes, he could reach in and do a rescue, but only with our complicity. He, only, only if we agreed. So this is what brings about the, the words that we have in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Rather than allow that to happen, now, now notice, in the beginning, God was hovering over, He was pondering, He was thinking about, He was deciding how all this was going to be, knowing that when He spoke that it would be forever unchangeable, and, and knowing that when He breathed the breath of life into man that He would forever live in some, in some way, some manner, knowing all of this, and this is the way he works. So when he looked at what was happening now that man had turned against him, he began to think maybe it'd be best to just clear the slate. I don't know, you know. And, and I don't want to put indecision in God, but I think sometimes when he looks at us with the love that he has for us, sometimes that love almost compels him to do some things. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, man, was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I made them. I, I'm sorry that they've come to this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Jeremiah. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of the man was great on earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So in looking at all over, watching it, pondering it, and folks, that tells us something about God. This situation that we find ourselves in here in the United States 
You know, we have really felt like we needed to get God out of that predicament he's in. So we, we've developed all this stuff. That, and I'm not saying all of it's wrong, but we developed a lot of stuff. And God looking over our situation and pondering our situation and thinking about it and reaching. Again, working like he would always work. He saw this man, Noah. And it wasn't that Noah was a perfect man. But God saw something in him. He saw that this man would listen and that he would act on what he heard. And even here, grace, favor was not earned. And he just looked at Noah and saw that this is a man that will respond. This is a man that will hear and, re and respond and do something. And so Father looked at Noah and thought, you know, if Noah gets it, he's the kind of man that will lead his family. He's the kind of man that will, will always have this on his mind and in his hands, on his heart. And I'm going to prove this by giving him something very difficult to do, but I'm going to help him do it. But in the original structure of the language, it doesn't say Noah found grace. It says grace found Noah. Oh, man, I like that. Man, I didn't find God. God's grace found me. And he's made me something that I never dreamed I could be. And you've got to understand that, that when you, when you were out there and, and making all kinds of, of silly comments and so on and so forth, you've got to understand you didn't find God. God found you and he looked at you and he saw something in you that he could do something with and he kept sending people by. He kept saying things that you didn't want to hear. He kept pressure on you. I, I remember standing outside on, on the front porch of my in-law's house, smoking a, a cigarette and standing there and, and hearing my father-in-law in there praying and calling out my name. And I'd get so angry. I wish he would just leave me alone. He wasn't talking to me. <laughs> but the Spirit of God was putting pressure on me. And he wasn't bothering me at all. He was just talking to his God. And so grace found me somehow in that. And this facet of God's personality, it's always probing, always knowing, always looking into the hearts of men and women. And we've got to understand and work with that. That's why I don't put much time in anybody that God don't lead me to. Because I'm not good at judging it. But he is. And he leads me to some of the most unusual people. I mean, I've got friends that you would never choose that person to be my friend. But we're good friends. Why? Because God led them to me or, or led me to them, one or the other. And it's always more successful when you let him lead you. <coughs> you see that, that part of God that is Jehovah. That name is never mentioned in the Word until it becomes, starts to deal with men. And that tells us something. This, this covenant-keeping God, He's always involved in the lives of men. The fact that Jehovah talks about the covenant-keeping God tells us that he, he got no choice. He made the decision to create. Now he's always involved. This doctrine, it tells you that when man sinned, God receded into his heavens. No, he did not. He's never been uninvolved with men. Never, ever, ever. And he never will be. Why? He's Jehovah. He's the covenant-keeping God. And he's always going to be involved. And if he don't get me to turn, he'll turn my children. You hear me? He'll turn my children. You say, well, don't you have to serve God? It'd be better if I did. But just because I don't, don't mean he won't reach my children. And confront them with the fact that there's an all-powerful God. John said it this way, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And man, if you let the full expression of God, that's what that word Word means, if you let the full expression of God live in you, your life will be full of grace and truth. It won't always agree with this world system. It won't even always agree with the religious system around you. But it'll always be showing forth grace and truth because you're letting it live in you. And I would suggest to you, you've heard me say this over and again, that the Word is still being made flesh, still dwelling among men, still full of grace and truth. You know, it's...
kind of convenient for illustration. It's not convenient that Sebastian has passed, although he's had a long and full life. But his life has been full of grace and truth. It hasn't been perfect. But from 12 years old, there was no churches in those mountains, no alphabet, no written language for the Nahuatl-speaking people. And a man showed up, sent by Wycliffe, to establish an alphabet, establish a language, translate the Bible. At 12 years old, Sebastian's dad took him to that residence and said, take my son and make him a man of God. So from 12 years old, he became a part of translating the Bible into, uh, into Nahuatl until now, which he was, what, Chelsea 77? So for 65 years, he has been a part of the church growing in Aztec land. And you know what? I think his eternity is going to be pretty good. <laughs> I think he'll be fine. I don't think God will ask him if he spoke in tongues. I don't think he'll ask him if he prayed the right prayers and quoted the right scripture. I just think I can hear him say, well done. You've been a good, faithful servant. Isn't that all that's necessary? Man, I hope I don't go in and God says, man, you've been a Pentecostal charismatic dynamo. Lord, help me. No, 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 no. <laughs> I can even hear God chuckling on that one. <laughs> Father, thank you. Help us to be challenged as we try, as it applies to our lives, to relate your story. We love you. We thank you. We pray that you'll challenge people as they go. Help us not to get away from the fact that you've, you've opened your story up to men and invited us in. And it's our decision whether we will come and follow. As for me and my house, God... We'll follow you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you for listening.